Hey, I'm Phil. Thanks for checking out this message today. We're glad you're here and we would love to get connected with you and your family. So one easy way that you can do that is to text River Connect to 97000. You can also visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and some upcoming events. Lastly, if you would like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount that you want to give to 84321 or you can head to our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed today's message. Morning, everybody. Morning. Welcome to the River Church. We are just thrilled you are here. If you have a Bible, go to Matthew chapter 27. First book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 27. If you've got a phone or tablet, welcome to use that also. Uh, it's just good to be together with the church. Hi, everybody online. Got to be honest with you. I wish you were here. I do. I wish you were here. Everybody in here may not because we usually have like some 400 people that watch every weekend, but that would be really fun. Let's do it. All right. Next week. Uh, And I know some of you are sick or unable to get here or or live a long ways away, but uh, would love for you to be and join us here. Uh, We love to be together as a church face to face. It's wonderful. So Matthew chapter 27. This morning... Uh, I'm going to start you with this thought. Are there places you won't go? Think of that. Are there places that you're like, nope, I don't go there. Maybe it's that restaurant. The last time I ate there, you know what happened? I will not go there ever. Do you have those restaurants? The joke around here and where we get planned for lunch, we're like, hey, where are we going to lunch? And somebody always yells, or many times yells, Arby's, because they know that's where I don't eat. I can't stand Arby's. Uh, but maybe there's, maybe there's a restaurant you won't go to, maybe a store, maybe there's a city or a street, maybe there's a neighborhood. If we get a little personal, maybe there's a person when you talk, hey, why don't you go see, no, no, I, I won't go there. There's just a place that you won't go. We all have different reasons. Maybe you had a bad experience, a bad memory. Maybe you don't want to go there because you'll have to face something you don't want to face. Maybe it's just because you're scared of or it's dangerous or it's dark or you, you just are unsure of what it will bring. Well, this month, as we draw near to Easter... I want to invite you to go with me to a place, to a place that I don't think many people really want to go. I want to invite you to go to a place that, see, we have shirts that talk about this place. We have jewelry on our ears and our necklace that like, no, no, I'm, I'm about this place. We have, we have tattoos, we have bumper stickers about this place. But I think if we're honest, there are not many people that really want to take a focused journey to this place. A couple weeks ago, I was at my gym and saw a guy, he had a shirt on, it had a logo. It was two nails and they were crossed. He had one here and then one on his hat. And I went to him and I said, what do do those mean? Now I think back and like, that's a really interesting question you asked him. What do those mean? But that's what I want to know. What what do you, you have a a cross on your shirt? You have a cross on your hat. What does it mean? 
And there are many crosses out there. There are many people that walk around with crosses. And I think if you were to ask him what it means, I think you're going to get some different answers. You're going to get some answers like, uh, it's, it's good luck. It keeps evil away. It makes me feel better. It's a part of my tradition. But if you know the Lord, the cross is about life. And for the next few weeks, I want you to go to the cross with me. I don't want you to go fast. I don't want you to do a quick drive-by. I want you to slow down and to stare at the cross. And if you know the Lord, you may need to grab some Kleenex. Because the cross is heavy. And I want you to go to the cross and, listen, to be honest, bring somebody with you. As we go to the cross, there are people. We need to go to the cross, but there are people who don't know the Lord. They need to come with you. And I know For some of you, if you're honest, a journey to the cross is something you don't want to do. And I just want to urge you, just just come with us. Come with us as we take a dive into the cross. What is so important is that we don't have a hazy truth about what the cross means and what the cross did. A.W. Tozer, an amazing writer, he said this about neglected, hazy Christian truths. He said, neglected Christian truths can be revitalized only when by prayer and long meditation, we isolate them from the mass of hazy ideas with which our minds are filled and hold them steadfast steadily and determinedly in the focus of the mind's attention. Ken Hughes says the cross is for the Christian health of our souls, an object of passionate focus. And I know some of you are going to want to give the pushback. Pastor, I know what the cross is. I'm good. I want you to dive in deeper. I want you to see the cross like you've never seen it before. I want you to study it this month. You've heard me say over and over again, don't just come here and get this. Be a part of reading the Bible. And so this month, this week, here's where you can read. Matthew 27, it brings you to the cross. Mark 15, the cross. Luke 23, John 19. It's a study of the cross. So let's pray and let's take that journey together. Lord Jesus, Lord, I pray for someone here where their heart honestly says, I don't want to go to the cross. I pray for some of us who know you who maybe are just hardened, maybe scared. May, Lord, we see the truth of what you did. So we thank you, we praise you, we sure need you this morning. In Jesus' name we ask this, amen. So Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 27. I want you to know, I'm not going to explain the whole night before the cross. When Jesus was betrayed in the garden, there is a whole brutal night that happens to Jesus. And you can read on that. You can go to the Gospels. 
In verse 27, in Matthew 27, I'm going to take you right before the cross. The Bible says, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the governor's headquarters, and they gathered the whole battalion before him. They stripped him, put on a scarlet robe on him, twisting together a crown of thorns. They put it on his head. They put a reed in his hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews! And they spit on him. And they took the reed and struck him in the head. When they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe, put his clothes on him, and led him away to crucify him. So I hope what to do is give you a little timeline of Christ on the cross. Here before, you see he is mocked, he is beaten, he is bloodied. And they take him to crucify him. Go with me to verse 35. It says, when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head, they put a charge against him, which read, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews. Then the two robbers who were crucified him, one on the right and one on the left, and those who passed by derided him, mocked him, wagging their heads and saying, you who would destroy the temple and build it up in three days, save yourselves. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him saying, he saved others. He can't save himself. He is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now. For he said, I'm the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. The book of Mark, the gospel of Mark, it says that Jesus was put on the cross around 9 a.m. It says a little bit, it says the third hour, but we know in the Jewish time clock, this is 9 a.m., Christ is hung on the cross. One pastor said it this way, it became the comedy show. They all began to mock him and laugh at him. You said this, see if you can save yourself. You're on the cross, you can't do anything. People walking by, laughing. Then the Pharisees and scribes who had hated him, they were stood there, right? Think of the joy that they had. Ah, you said you were right, now you're gonna die. It's comedy. Even the robbers on both sides, and if, if you're a churchy, you know later on in the story what happens, but it says both of the robbers, they're on the cross too, and they're mocking him. When you study what happens to somebody when they're hung on the cross, See, when they study it, they say within the first half hour, your forearms go numb. And then what happens is your shoulders, 
they feel like they're being ripped out of the socket and you struggle to breathe. So they say on the cross, what happens is you begin to push up with your legs to try to take the pressure off your shoulders so you can breathe. But your legs begin to cramp. And you so run out of strength in your legs. And you also have to remember that they've driven nails through your hands, your wrists, through your feet. And you're pulling. That's your leverage. And so your shoulders fail and you push to your legs and your legs fail. So you go back and try to push to your shoulders. And this happens over and over and over again as people walk by and mock him. This for the first three hours. And then things get really dark. So as you read the Gospels, you see from nine to noon, he hangs there. People see it and they mock him. And then things change drastically. The Bible says in verse 45, it says this, Now from the sixth hour, which is high noon, the Bible says there was darkness all darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. Luke puts it this way. He says about the sixth hour there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour while the sun's light failed. I told you it's not going to be easy to go to the cross. We're here in three hours. You see Jesus, and now something happens. The Bible says it goes dark. Here, I want to give you a picture of what it looked like. Okay, you ready? Ready? I'll show you up here. There you go. All right. That, that's the picture. Come on, you got to laugh a little bit there. I'm trying to lighten things up, all right? We're going to the cross. There's got to be a little like... Okay, i got to relax a little bit. That's what that is, all right? Just relax a second. Let's go back. The Bible says the sun's light failed. The translation of all over the land, it went dark. That word land, it can be translated to earth. So there's argument. Did the whole entire earth go dark? Well, half of it was dark. See how things work. But it says the sun's light failed. Now, could the Lord just have made it dark right there in Jerusalem? Yeah, he's the Lord. He can do whatever he wants. But the Lord, supernatural, like some people explain, like they like to explain things in the Bible. Oh, it was just eclipse, except it's Passover. There's a full moon, so eclipse, that doesn't happen. It was completely dark for three hours. So eclipse doesn't last. Like, that, that's not what it could be. The Bible says the sun's light failed. All of a sudden, you're looking at Jesus and it goes dark. You don't pull out your, flat, your phone light. Oh, let's pull out the phone so I can see. You don't say, hey, did somebody turn off the light bill? Jesus on the cross, it goes dark for three hours. And all of a sudden, in the midst of darkness, you're standing there going, what, what does this darkness mean? 
Pharisee. Whoa. It's noon. The sun at its apex. It now goes dark. If I'm there, I start to ask questions. Like, what did, what did I just do? What, what, what just happened? So this morning, as we go to the cross, this is the question that we ask. Charles Spurgeon said it like this. What does this darkness mean? So three points. First, the darkness is in great contrast to the light. So the Bible, God's holy word is given to us. It tells us who the Lord is. It tells us who Jesus is. The first words of God that we have. The, the Bible, introdu- hey, let me introduce you to God. What does it say in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3? And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from darkness. The first words we have of the almighty God, let there be light. And then we get to Luke and Jesus is born. It brings us to a field in the middle of the night, the Bible does. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it says in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. What happens? It's Jesus, or he is born. It says an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. What happened? The glory of the Lord blazed forth out of darkness. The light had come to the world. And as you read the gospel, you see the contrast over and over and over again. Jesus, he is the light. In the book of John, some 16 times, Jesus, in him was light. And the life as the light of men. Jesus, the light shines in darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. John 8, 12, one of the great I am statements that Jesus makes. He says, I am the light of the world. Take us to the end when Christ comes back into eternity. What's going to light up everything? Is it the sun? Nope. Revelation 21, 23. And the city has no need of the sun or moon to shine in it. For the glory of God gives it light. And it, its lamp is the lamb. The lamb of God, Jesus. The great contrast between light and dark. 1 John 1, 5 and 7, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus, the light of the world, now sits in complete darkness on the cross. See, the Bible also talks about wickedness. Those who are wicked, they walk in darkness. Proverbs 2, 13 and 14 talks about the way of the wicked live in darkness. 
And then John 3, 19 It says, this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So the first thing I want you to see and maybe see is a bad word. The first thing I want you to think about sit in the darkness Jesus hanging on the cross. The light of the world in pitch black darkness. And we see the contrast between light and darkness, but what, 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 is it, what does this mean to us? The second point is we see that this darkness represents the judgment of God. When you look to the Old Testament, there's a supernatural darkness that was associated with divine judgment. So those of you who like to take notes, Amos 8, 9, and 10, Isaiah 60, 1 and 2. This darkness, it signifies a curse. Remember the Old Testament? If you've been around the Bible, you remember... When Moses came to free the Israelites from slavery during what we call Passover, right? This is what happened. Passover happened. There were these plagues. There was the plague of darkness right before the lamb was slain. You see what's happening here that we have again the darkness as the lamb of God is slain. Here in this darkness, the sin of the world is now poured out upon Jesus. As 1 Peter 2.24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. This is a hard truth. But the Bible says Jesus is on the cross and what is hanging on him is my sin. Peter goes on to say that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds. Have you been healed? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says for our sake, He, God, made him who Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In the darkness of the cross, Christ is carrying my sin. And probably one of the heaviest things that I read this week, it says this, in the darkness, wave after wave of our sin was poured over Christ's sinless soul. Again and again, during those three hours, his soul recoiled and convulsed as all our lies, infidelity, hatred, jealousy, murder, and pride were poured out upon his purity. 
The Bible says he became a curse. The darkness represents the judgment, the just God who cannot look upon sin because the wages of sin are death. Jesus, holy, righteous God, takes the wrath of God for us. This picture, sadly, there are some churches that don't want to bring people to this. This isn't one of those feel-good sermons. You go home and go, man, I'm going to be a better husband today. That was a good sermon. I feel lighter today. I feel... This is the most important trip. Without this trip, it's all foolishness. That's why the Bible says the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe. The rest of the Bible fails without the cross. The rest of the Bible, it's a lie without Jesus and what he did. This is why we go to the cross and see that our Savior took our sin. And people, churches, false teachers don't want to bring you here because when you come here, sin gets heavy. It becomes something that breaks your heart. It becomes a burden. It becomes something that we hate because we go, that's what Jesus did. That's why so many don't want to come to this. They'd rather ignore it, skip by it. Let's just talk about Christ's love. But if you don't understand the cross, you don't understand Christ's love. Let me try to lighten this up a little bit. When I was in third grade, I got in trouble for the very first time in my life in school. It only happened like one and a half times. I remember in third grade, got in a fight on recess. Then I went to Cooley Elementary. Dr. Pierre was the principal so me and this other kid, we had to go down to the principal's office. And back then they did something. I, called, I think they were called like planning guides, whatever. So they were this piece of paper, write out what you did. And then at the bottom it said parent signature. So I was like, that's what I was scared of. Everything else I'm fine. And then it said parent signature. You need to bring this back. Okay. I remember going home and hiding it. The next day I came back to school. And it was like mission impossible. Every, like everybody crossed the office area. I remember going, I didn't sing the song, but like, dun, 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 dun. Like if I could just, I remember like ducking down. If he doesn't see me, I'm going to be good. And got to class, got through day one. Woo! You remember this, mom? Remember when I did this? All right, see you. <laughs> day two, nothing. I think it was like day four. And by day four, I'm going, the principal loves me, and I got away with it. I'm good. All right. I remember getting up that morning for school, and the landline rang. It was Dr. Pierre on the phone. Here you go, Mom. The principal's calling. I remember just breaking down into, I'm, I'm, I'm in for it now. Had to go get the planning guide out where I hit it. But I give you that illustration because I think that, I think we think with God, as long as we don't have to face it, 
we can just sneak by our sin. Right? It's no big deal if I don't have to look at the cross or think about the cross or, you know, like God's love, he love he's just going to forget about it. And we just try to squeak by. But unless we come face to face with our sin that we fall short of God, we're not going to get the cross. If we think that, hey, sin's not a big deal, we don't get that Jesus died on the cross and our sin was placed upon him. As a Christian, we come and we give glory and we give praise and we give thanks because what Jesus did for us to offer us life. And we come to the cross. So this darkness, what does it mean? It's the judgment of the Lord, but it's worse than this. You keep reading in Matthew 27, get to verse 46. It says about the ninth hour. So it says it was dark from noon to three. About the end of that, Jesus cries out with a loud voice. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So I've studied, I can't find where the Bible says he's in the dark or out of the dark. I just picture in this darkness, as the darkness is ending, the Lord cries out. It's loud because he wants us to hear it right now. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What is Jesus saying here? Jesus is saying there's separation between him and God. Him and the Father. And there are great, what, what does this mean? This doesn't mean Jesus stopped being God. This doesn't mean that there was a separation here of the Trinity. What this is saying, and I believe it's clear, is that because of the sin placed upon Jesus the fellowship between God the Father and God the, God the Son was separated for this time. See, the most agonizing thing for Jesus, the most difficult thing is he knew God the Father intimately. And in this time, with our sin placed upon him, there was that separation One said it this way, because he became sin for us, he had to go undergo the cosmic trauma of separation from God who is light and in him is no darkness. In the dark of the cross, Jesus was alone. The unity of the Trinity was not broken, but the separation of the Son from the Father and Spirit was fact. God's holy nature demanded separation as the Son became sin. Jesus in the darkness, receiving the judgment, the wrath of God, and our sins placed upon him, separated from God. This is the cross. 
So what does this darkness mean? The last point is the darkness then shows us the salvation that is offered to the world. Jesus died so that we would come to trust him as Savior and to follow him and to glorify him. Matthew 28, the next chapter over. See, at the end of that third hour right there is when Jesus dies. They take his body and they put him in a tomb. In Matthew 28, three days later, here's what happens. It says, Behold, there was an earthquake For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for the fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Out of the darkness comes the wonderful light. Here, Jesus conquers death in the grave, conquers, right, the darkness. As other passages say, he on the cross ransomed us. He bought us. He purchased us, as Acts 20.28 says. Titus 2.14 says, he came and redeemed us. This is what the cross did. So if you're a believer, coming to the cross is not easy. It's heavy. But coming to the cross brings us to a place of seeing sin and hating it. Of seeing God's almighty love for you. That he sent his son to die. Charles Spurgeon says, sit down and let the thick darkness cover you. Until you cannot even see the cross. And only know that out of the reach of the mortal eye, your Lord accomplished the redemption of his people. He accomplished in silence a miracle of patience and of love by which light has come to those who sit in darkness. Those who sit in the valley of the shadow of death. Jesus has come. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you know the Lord, come running back to the cross. It'll change your day, it'll change your week. If you don't know the Lord, here's what I believe, the Holy Spirit is real, and I believe the Holy Spirit moves in our hearts, and if you're in here and you're like, Pastor, this cross thing I've never, never believed it, never understood it. I hope in my prayer this morning is the Holy Spirit to speak into your heart. And where you're at, you're in a place to go, I've never understood the truth of the cross until right now. 
And if that's where you're at, you can accept the love of Jesus right now. The Bible uses the term to be saved or to be born again. What that means is where you're at, you put your trust and hope in Jesus and what he did on the cross. That right where you're at, you can say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins and save me. I believe you died on the cross for me and rose again. The Bible says he will save you and give you a new life. If you're honest, some of you may be in here and if this is not a place you want to go to the cross, maybe through the sermon you were fighting it, may you see the love of the Lord. And the next time you see that shirt, that earring, that tattoo, somebody says, hey, what's that cross mean? you can tell him that cross means the love of Jesus Christ and that he died and rose again that I may be saved. Lord Jesus, Lord, we clap and we praise for you. You're the only one that deserves glory, Lord. And we praise you. This morning, may we draw near to you to have this truth clearer than when we came. Thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.